Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of the Ashes Central podcast. Uh, this is our day one recap for the Adelaide day-night test. Australia for 2 for 221 after 89 overs at the close. But of course all the buzz was about the 11th hour withdrawal of Australian captain Patrick Cummins. Had a close COVID contact. We were wondering whether or not COVID would uh, become a part of this series. It certainly has on a big stage. Uh, that meant Steve Smith returns, uh, sends, you could say, back to the captaincy for the first time since Cape Town back in 2018. We know all about that. Michael Nessa, who, or Nisa, uh, who's been on the outside for so long, finally does get his chance, if in rather um, exceptional circumstances. Uh, my name is Vas. We have uh, Pearson, Ethan and Ted all here. Um, and to start off, gentlemen, you were all lucky enough to be at the Adelaide Oval and will be throughout this test. But um, just give our listeners a little insight into what it was like, um, you know, finally being at some live test cricket uh, after what we've been through with COVID. It, it's been a long time for me. I think December 2019 would have been the last time I was at a cricket ground for at least test cricket. And personally, I think Adelaide Oval is the best ground in the country. I think it's the best non-English ground in the world, to be honest. So I very much enjoyed it. I thought the atmosphere was good. Of course, it could have been made better in England, turned up and performed with the ball. But you take what you can get, and it was good to be back at the ground. And perhaps? Yeah, my first time at the Adelaide Oval as well. So uh, it was definitely great to you know, experience the, the stadium and, and the atmosphere there. Good to have some fans back in stadiums. Um, yeah, and again, my first game in about two years as well. So it was good just watching the Aussies grind it out. Um, especially that opening and final session makes things very interesting. And Teddy, you've of course been in Adelaide all of this year, but um, you agree it's one of the better sporting stadiums in the world? Uh, it's no doubt the, the greatest in the world, but I might be a bit biased being a South Australian myself. But uh, I thought the crowd was pretty uh, loyal and persistent yesterday when it wasn't really the most exciting day's play um, for, for large patches of it, but the Barmy Army was still chanting and yeah, it was just a fantastic atmosphere. Indeed, I think Teddy's hit the nail on the head. I was seeing a lot on social media about it being boring days. Not sure I'd go that far. Uh, Australia, two for two, two, one at the close. Um, Harris fell early for three. Another failure there. We'll get onto that. Uh, Warner, 95. So just one more than his 94. He up in Brisbane. Uh, Labuschagne, not out, 95. Dropped, of course, on 21 and 95. Both times by Butler behind the stumps. Smith, not out, 18. Um, uh, wickets to Broad and Ben Stokes among that. Um, I've actually got a short rant prepared for once, and then I'm going to give Pearson right of reply because, uh, as we know, he's quite a strong England supporter. Um, uh, let's set the stage a little bit. England come 1-0 down to Adelaide. We talked a lot on the preview show. They had to win this test match. Otherwise, they're not winning the series. Uh, Selection-wise, we said they would probably go for Wokes um, there might be the element of his batting their ability to move the ball a bit more than would with the pink ball. Um, ultimately, they do. And what we saw immediately on day one, pretty immediately, uh, is that it was the wrong decision if England want to win this series. Uh, I know Pearson has talked about the fact that Wood can only play one game um, and he needs a rest in between in a longer series, which I think is a problem in itself. Uh, and then he also tells me there's not enough depth because Archer and Stone, the other two quality pace bowlers, as in, you know, 140, 145 plus bowlers, um, for the English aren't available. Well, if they don't have any other bowlers available uh, in however many million people they have who can uh, bowl in Australian conditions, um, you know, uh, for, you know, 20 or more overs per innings, then that's a serious issue, I think, with, with their development. Um, talking about playing in, experience in, England, in Australian conditions, I think it's pretty clear England just haven't learned how to do it. Australia are very much better at playing in England conditions than England are in Australia, and that's been seen with the results in the series. Um, 
I'll take Jimmy Anderson and Broad, for example. Honestly, I thought they bowled really well the first thing. It was nine or ten. I think one bowled five, one bowled four in that opening spell. Um, they were having there was a couple of LB shouts. There were balls beating the edges. But what we learned immediately with those LBs, one was Harris given out, re, uh, reviewed it, reversed. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that certainly shocked me, that Hawkeye going well over the leg stump uh, and just outside the line of the stumps. Uh, and then there was another one given not out that was going over the time. So immediately we saw pitching a ball in a spot. And, you know, Anderson and Broad should know this by now. If they pitch it in a good area where it might hit the stumps in English conditions, it's going to go way over the stumps when you're playing in Australia. Uh, and that was really... Um, the pattern of the day. And, and I know Pearson will say, well, it's building up dots. It's building up pressure. Well, that's great, but you need 20 wickets to win a test match and you need to be hitting the stumps. Listen, 5% of the balls, Channel 7 poured up um, a, a graphic throughout the entire day we're hitting the stumps. It's not a way to win test match cricket and it only got worse um, from then. I mean, you look at the wickets, um, Harris, that, that's, a, that's a leg side catch. I mean, I think, uh, can't remember who it was who went out down. I think it was, could have been Hamid last match. And Pearson said, oh, well, that's very unlucky. A bit of a strangle down the leg side. So yes, say what you like about say, yeah, say what you like yeah, about they Harris. They both were unlucky. Yeah, yeah well, we're getting on to that. Um, the, the, both the wickets that fell, you wouldn't say that. I mean, amazing balls. I mean, Warner's was a short, wide, long hop that he just had a bit of a brain yeah. fat, I think, in the mid-90s. Um, uh, and as you mentioned, uh, the wicket of Harris wasn't, uh, you know, really that great of a ball. Even the chances, I mean, you look at the one that uh, on 21 Lubbershade down the leg side, that was a short ball, that was leg side, uh, but still Butler had a chance to catch it. I guess the last chance for Lubbershade off Anderson was the bowler uh, with the new ball that caught behind. That was probably the best chance for a wicket they had in terms of a good ball, slightly short of a length, but in that kind of uh, channel where uh, someone who's on 95 is not going to leave that ball. Uh, we got to talk about these bowling tactics, though, and I think this is probably where Pearson will agree with me. It was their worst day on the tour, certainly from a tactics perspective and a captaincy perspective. Um, talk about Ben Stokes. You bring him on. At, his sole purpose is to bowl half trackers with three men deep on the leg side. That's how you're going to bowl to some of the best batsmen in Australia. That's how you're going to get David Warner and Marnus Labuschagne out. You might get them out, but they might be on 150 by the time you get them out. Um, that That made no sense to me. And then... Again, slow over rate. We didn't talk about it actually on the preview. But England, I think $27,500. All the players were fined. It's 100% of their match fee based on the first test. Um, and again, it was slow. And the, the only kind of solution they have is just bring Joe Root on to bowl outside and on the leg stump uh, with a few men out deep. Mark Taylor was quoted. He's on Triple M now. He used to be on nine. He's normally quite measured with his beliefs. I think he, the word he used was stinky tactics um, to Joe Root. Very disappointed with that. Um, and he had dots over wickets aren't winning you any games. I think they played defeated England. I think they played like they've already lost the series. And I was an optimist. I had 2-1 coming in. I think from what we've seen so far from the English, it's more like 5-0 at the conclusion of the series. Pearson, you'll write a reply. So I'll start with the parts I agree on. So with regard to tactics, I thought tactics were consistently poor. I think whenever we bowled line and length in the channel, we threatened. I think Manus Labuschagne played and missed upwards of 15 balls across the day. I don't have the exact figure, but it was about there. That suggests you pitch it up, there was enough in the pitch to at least give some invitation to the bowlers. But we kept going to this idea of essentially bowling Stokes for full sessions from one end with the short ball tactic, which to me, it, because we started this at 70 for one, felt almost defeatist in nature, which I didn't like. It felt almost as if they battled through the first session, so we just played for the draw. Uh, with regard to selection, which I'll get on to next, I agree and disagree. I do agree Mark Wood would have been a useful addition to the attack. 
And I think, as you don't like to admit, but it is true that he probably couldn't play back-to-back tests and have him ready for Melbourne and Sydney, where I think he will play an even more important role because the ball, in theory, will do less than it does in Adelaide because it's not pink. I mean, we saw in, admittedly, we lost heavily in, what was that, 2017 in Adelaide, but we did see if we get the ball moving, we don't need that express pace bowler in the same way we do at a Melbourne or a Sydney or even a Brisbane. Uh, with re- so with regard to selection, I do think we could have done with a Mark Wood, but I think if you have to sacrifice him for one test, it's probably Adelaide because I think it fits the skill sets of a bowler like Chris Wokes better, who averages over 100 at three of the five grounds, but only sub-30 in Adelaide. So I do think that was ultimately a measured call, albeit risky. I do agree there's a limit to which you can rotate because you do have to win the games early as well. You can keep delaying to win the next test. But I do think you can't have Mark Wood breaking down or then we're pretty much consigned to a 5-0. With regard to your bowling hitting the stumps, I mean, tell me if I've misquoted you here, but you essentially said we didn't hit the stumps often enough and you can't win in Australia doing that. That's I said less than five percent of the balls yes, were so the stumps. Yes, You're ruling yes, out five, all five, bowls so five, and LBs. Yes, yeah, so five five percent of deliveries were hitting the stumps. This is this amount of deliveries hitting the stumps is the most misused stat in cricket. If you go through statistics, when England rolled Australia for sixty-seven at Headingley, less than five percent of balls were hitting the stumps. Pat Cummins at home, his career average is eight percent of balls hitting the stumps. And he's arguably the best five. bowler in Australia post 2000. Yes, it's a 3% gap. And that's my point, is it's so minimal that this ball's hitting the stumps thing isn't the way to go about it. I do agree we should have bowled fuller. But at the same time, I do think regardless of conditions, the best ball you can bowl is on the channel, which is not hitting the stumps and on fourth stump line and length. I do think we bowled a touch short because I think England have a similar pattern to a lot of teams when they come to Australia of bowling that good length, which on an Adelaide pitch does take it over the top of the stumps. I think that would be a fairer way to accuse players of having bowled poorly. But I don't think balls on a stump width outside off stump are worth complaint. And there were a fair number of them. Most of the player misses were. So I do think bowl a touch fuller, but I don't think this idea that 5% on the stumps will be our downfall really matters that much. I think it's about the quality of bowling. I mean, you look, teams don't take that many LBWs and bowled in Australia. Teams bowl 10% of deliveries on the stumps in Australia is a very high percentage. That would be twice as many as we bowl. But my point is it's low regardless. So I, I don't really see the point of using that statistic. I agree we bowled short. I don't think saying 5% will lose us the series is fair. I think I think that was one point of many, but we'll move on to Prab's. Um, well, first of all, how much do you agree with that? There's no point saving uh, Chris Wood if the, uh, Mark Wood if the series is already over. Uh, and you know, what did you take out of the day's play? Yeah, well, just on that uh, statistic of five percent of balls uh, or less than five percent hitting the stumps, I think for me it's not so much about line but more about length. Um, if you look at that graphic from um, the Crick Analyst, which is on a very high proportion of balls are actually going over the stumps. And that's one thing I, I noticed in that first session with that new ball. There were so many plays and misses. I think Australia barely hit a run in the first 10 overs. Um, but when you get so many plays and misses, uh, it, it's not so much about luck, but more you've just got to get it probably six inches fuller. I think Mohamed Shami had this problem in England where it was just a little bit too short, got tons of play and misses, but no, no nicks. Um, so I think 
what would be better is if England got a higher proportion of balls at you know stump height or bale height or below, um, regardless of the line that's on, and that can bring you know nicks in bold and LBW. But if you, I think if you're sort of the backish of a length that they were on, then it's it's quite hard to to do anything with it. Um, I think yeah, I agree with most of the things Pearson's uh, said there. I think yeah, it was the right call to play Works here. He took you know four for not many. In the second innings of last Adelaide test, I don't think anyone expected the ball to do as little as it did uh, in that final session. Um, and yeah, if you do play Wood now, then you probably can't play him in Melbourne and you've got to play Wokes in Melbourne. And then, you know, to win the series, you've still got to win, you know, two, three games. And if you, you know, go go hard in this test and win it, but then you've just got a, a really depleted attack in the future... I think there's a degree of planning that goes on. It's not all about just winning this test. You've, you've got to try and win, you know, two to three. Um, and that's why I think, yeah, it was the right decision to play Wokes here uh, and Wood later on. Because if you play Wood here and then Wokes goes for, you know, none for 200 in Melbourne, everyone will be you know, arguing it should have been the other way. Yes. Yeah, exactly. well, but England have already said Adelaide's the one they all circle to win. So I, I'd, well, I'd rather that, see them win in Adelaide the and then lose in Melbourne and then you've got a chance. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think England fans say, ooh, pink ball, we can win this. When you look at it, England have played four pink ball tests. We've played three of them away from home. We've lost all three. Australia's played eight pink ball tests. They've won all eight. This idea that the pink ball is like the English messiah is just untrue. That, no, I think it shows you how dire the situation is. Yes, exactly. Rule, rule but it also suggests prison. that with that with that win percentage, if we put all our eggs in the Adelaide basket and deplete our attack for the other four tests, and then we lose Adelaide, we're pretty much destined for a five nil. So I, I think there is there is a limit to which you can put all your eggs in one basket for an individual test. We should have done more in Brisbane with the attack. I think Adelaide was fine with the attack. We've just bowled a touch short, and Australia batted well. Let's move on to Teddy. Um, Length and line an issue, but um, England didn't bowl well enough on day one. Yeah, I think you know, being a little bit harsh on them, on their, I think their bowlers generally bowled pretty well. I think it just was um, an issue of personnel and tactics, really. I think as you spoke about, the first um, spell of bowling was was brilliant. Really, there was a clear focus on starving Warner, especially of runs. Um, and to be fair, you would probably normally expect him to have nicked one off there or to not be as disciplined as he um as he was you know this was uh, his slowest innings ever uh so they were it was really just good batting in that first session i think um but then after that they just needed a second option really like it would would be helpful with the extra pace but then if it wasn't wood they didn't have a spinner either that they could go to um, and create the chances. So instead, they really had to go to the, the short theory with with, with Stokes, um, which I think was okay at first as a different option, but really it became the only option, the only tactic that they were using um, throughout the day. Um, and in that, in the third session especially, why they were still doing that in the dark, you know, they, they speak about the English supporters speak about all the time about you know, this being their great chance um, in Adelaide in the day-night test, but then they didn't even put it on the stumps. They didn't even give the ball a chance in that third session. So that was just bizarre. And you almost had to wonder if it was because of um, the slow over rate that, you know, they were still bowling uh, route even in the third session. So um, I think there's 
got to be some questions about fixing that up because it's definitely caused some issues just in terms of their tactics uh, yesterday. Yeah, I noticed Pearson kind of avoided that talking about that topic, which means like I guess he has no choice but to agree. On you know, a, on a rolling root from one end for over an hour just to get your, your, your over rate back up and get to that new ball um, really isn't um, optimal. No, yeah. Yeah, there, there were, I think, I mean, as much as we can go on about the bowlers, the primary problem was tactics, is you look at the Stokes performance. I'm, I'm not entirely averse to bowling short. I think the problem we had is we bowled short without a mid-on or a mid-off, which essentially meant you can't pitch anything up. So it was entirely reliant on batsman error to ever get a wicket at that stage. And I think that's incredibly negative tactics for day one of a test. Also yeah. negative is bowling Joe Root over and over and over to get your over rate up. Admittedly, if we do intend to get some portion of our match fee this game, we probably did have to do that. But I do, and I did think actually in the first session, we rotated between overs quite well. I mean, you could see we put a consorted effort into running and we still only got 25 overs in. Like it is a challenge when you have no spinner, or at least no spinner of any quality you can rely on apart from route to make up overs. It just, it inevitably leads to this overrate issue. I think it's something we're going to have to put up with and work on. But when we're picking four seamers that bowl in pretty much the exact same way all day, there's not much we can do except stomach this overrate thing and bowl Joe Root. But I, I still think I'd happily take a reduction in match fee. We're not going to make a World Test Championship final. I'd rather win an Ashes and make no money from it than lose 5-0 and make 50% of our match fee because Joe Root got more of a bowl. So I, I don't care about overrate. I care about winning test matches. And it annoys me the amount of stress they put on me. Well, and to yeah. go back to what Teddy was saying, and I think you possibly trying to mischaracterize me, Pearson. I was having a go at the tactic. I'm not saying there's not. I'm sure Ben Stokes doesn't want to be bowling every ball. That's what he's being told by Joe Root and by the coaching staff. Okay, we can put yeah. the blame on them. I'm just saying someone like an Anderson, as Prab said, even a little you know foot more pitched up because he's used to those balls hitting the stumps or being in a real dangerous area. Um, Sure, you get the ball, your new ball, it takes you a few overs to adjust, but once you're able to, if he's one of the most accurate bowlers in world cricket, he should have the um, the nows to, to pitch that ball up a little more. And I totally agree with what Teddy was saying about the, the attack being too uniform, but as Pearson has said, yeah, that is with Wood, true. that's not really an option. So perhaps it's an issue with, as you've said, injuries, not much you can do about um, Archer and Stone. but um, And lack of a world-class spinner. I think that's a massive difference maker is you can bank on Lyon to bowl 20-plus overs in a day. Leach bowled 10 and went for 100. We can't be picking someone doing that because it relieves all of this. Now, I mean, originally, you go back to three months ago, the plan was one or two of Archer Woodstone would play every test. We'd fight fire with fire. We'd have quicker bowlers than you on average, actually, if two of them played. And then we could be highly aggressive against you. And that clearly didn't eventuate. So we decided two months out, let's go into this. Let's go the patience game, build dots and try to bore wickets out of them. If there's one thing we seen yesterday, it's that Manus Labashev cannot be bored out. He leaves as well as anyone I've seen. And he leaves on length well, which ties into your point of us. Yeah, so pitch it up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I agree to an extent. Although the other thing to suggest is if you pitch it up on the stumps, it is literally a half volley length. And that's where the balance has to come in, which is where I think pitching the ball full on occasion is the better option. You can bowl the two sucker balls and over, but I do think four balls probably and over are inevitably going to be slightly over off stump. 
But I do agree, we bowl too many lead balls, and I think that's an issue of primary concern. Go on, Teddy. Yeah, one thing I would just add is that the pitch um, did seem to have some, a little bit interesting in it in terms of the bounce. You know, it wasn't just a completely easy bounce coming up. There was something there that was causing difficulty at certain times. And I think on another day, it could have very easily caused some wickets, you know. Um, I think there was a little bit of good fortune. For yeah, the we, we were unlucky to only take two. We didn't necessarily, the tactics were poor. We could have bowled the touch fuller. But on another day, we're taking five or six with that bowling. So it is to an extent unlucky, but we do, we need to be more aggressive. I do agree with everyone here. We bowl as if we're trying to secure a draw rather than going for a win. If we won in Brisbane, maybe, but we didn't. We got pummeled in Brisbane. And now we're trying to just avoid another pummeling in Adelaide. And I think that's poor tactics. You could see it in the body language. Everyone was down after about 25 overs. And that's not a good way to win a five test series. Sack Joe Root. Ifs, ifs and buts. Yeah, well, we need another cash. Who's going to captain? But there's no one else that's stable. Ben there's no good Stokes. captain in the side. The best captain in the side is Rory Burns, and he's the one who's the most droppable player in the side. The okay. issue we have is we well, have uh, no better well, captain. The <laughs> according to Vassalin is the most droppable. Yeah, get him out of here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a couple of things. We've taken up a lot of time with that discussion. A couple of things. Marcus Harris, another failure. We know we always talk about Kuaja. Um We'll go to Teddy first on this one because I don't think you were here last time we mentioned this. How how well does he need to play in the second innings to keep his spot for the uh, the Melbourne Test, or do you think he's already going to keep it regardless of another failure in the second innings? Well, I, I think not only does he need to make a, a good score, he needs to show that he's you know, good enough to play at the Test level because um, just watching him in the first innings and throughout the first Test as well, I don't think he's really up to it. You know, he looks. He, he just doesn't look comfortable there. He doesn't look like he's going to score. Um, it's everyone at the ground <laughs> thinks it's only a matter of time until he gets out. You know, there's real issues with his batting. So unless something miraculous happens, I don't see how he can keep his spot. And we've got a Prabs next because we know what Pearson's going to say. Um, <laughs> do, again, I mean, uh, say Harris is gone. Are you giving a chance of... Um, Price Street coming in, or do you think they will go with Usman? I know Pearson's very keen on them not going back to a successful opener. So what would you say about that? <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll be Kawaja, I think. I think Harris has got one more chance. It Maybe if he hits something like a 30-odd, we'll give him one more test. But, yeah, it's like it's a ticking time bomb, really, his, his, uh, get him getting dropped. And I think, yeah, it's got to be Usman Kawaja, especially with the subcontinent <laughs> year coming up. Um, he just seems the obvious choice. And I will admit, Pearson, if Kawaja does fail in three and four, they're not exactly going to bring, you know, Street in for five, are they? So if they don't bring him in... No, well, what, what, Melbourne, what, 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 actually, as much as you don't think I will say this, I well, I do, first of all, I think Harris has to be dropped. I think unless he hits some match-winning 100 in the second innings, he has no future. I actually didn't think he played that badly in the first innings of this test. I mean, his three was a lovely flick through mid-wicket. But he, does, he doesn't look like scoring. He doesn't have enough options. Admittedly, Warner only got one off his first 25. Harris got three off 25. But Harris seems to find ways to get himself out. And I do agree, he definitely doesn't have a future in Test cricket. I would go Usman Kawaja, but I'm not going Usman Kawaja solely for the Ashes. I'm also looking beyond that in that your entire next year you're playing in Asia. I don't want to introduce a young 21-year-old Test opener into dust bowls for the first year of his career. 
So and Kawaja proved in his UAE trip, and I believe was that 2018, 2017, somewhere yeah. in that era that he can 2018 that he can play on those pitches. And I think in an Ashes series, you want that experienced campaigner. I think long term it'll be straight, but I'd go Kawaja in Melbourne for now. Of course, Australia so used to having dominant opening pairs, Hayden Langer, you know, Rogers Warner. Now <laughs> we don't have one. I mean, we're pointing to a three as as signs that you know he played well. I think there, but I think we all agree he's going to be. He should be dropped for yeah, Melbourne. He has to be, um, unless as say, he comes out and hits a ton in the second innings. Um, just last question on the cast: What do we expect to happen today? Now in day two, um, I mean, I've been very harsh. We'll start with Pierce on this one because I know I've been very harsh on England tactics wise, and you could say a little bit on the bowlers, but. Australia better not let me down now. If they come out and do a similar thing and bowl too short, I mean, we, we know they've got two new, but got Richardson in and, and, and Nisa in. Um, it's down to Mitchell Stark now, really, to lead this attack, you'd have to think. And if he has very good record, we know, with the pink ball. Um, I guess dream for Australia is to be either all out or declaring around that, you know, dinner break a little into that last sec- session and then coming out with a bowler like Stark who knows how to bowl in the conditions and uh, picking up some early wickets. If, if, yeah, I think... A large part, it's been mentioned quite a lot in the Sky Sports podcasts, is a lot of pink ball cricket is luck and strategy of when you start bowling. Is a lot of the time, the teams that win test matches, like you actually in 2017 against us, pick up the ball early on in that night session and get an hour, hour and a half, possibly even two hours in the gloom to bowl at us. I think if Australia are to win this test match comfortably, which by all metrics they should, It'd be a case of getting past 400 at around dinner and maybe giving us a tough 90 minute to two hour period under lights in which to survive. I must admit, unlike last test, I'm less optimistic. Admittedly, I'm not fully sold on your bowling attack. You've, you now, you no longer have the bowler that took five for eight last pink ball test and you no longer have the ball with the best pink ball average of anyone in test cricket. So no excuses for England's batting lineup. No, but that's the thing is I think... I admittedly, I actually think Jai Richardson will be a very good player. I think Jai Richardson may well, if he plays well, overtake Stark for the Melbourne test. However, I think we need to prove that we're at least good enough to face off Michael Meza. I think a win is out of the picture at this point for us. But if we can at least show that we can hit 300 plus, it would at least content me to some degree. But yeah, I, 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 it's very much tempered optimism on my part. I don't think we're going to come out and hit 500 and put any pressure on you. But we'll have to wait and see. We just we need to take eight wickets today and go from there. Eight wickets. What are you missing defeat after one day? That's how we like to see it. Uh, Prabs, you've only talked for about two minutes this this podcast. Sadly, uh, what do you think is going to happen uh, today? Um, well, there's 70 overs left of this ball, so I think Australia will be looking at bat around. That, that length. It was interesting. The new ball didn't do that much yesterday under lights. So I, I do wonder how, how the Aussies will, will view um, them bowling with the new ball under in that twilight session. Um, but yeah, I think around 70 overs, they'll declare or, or get bowled out somewhere before that, uh, in that twilight session. Uh, I'm not going to go with Pierce and say the test is already over. I think what England showed last test is you can lose about eight for 80 very quickly in Australia after they lost, I think, Labuschagne and last test lost, you know, quick wickets as well. Um, I think for England, it's key to start strong and get, you know, one or two wickets early on and then they keep the game alive. But if Australia can bat, you know, the first session and a half and only lose, you know, one wicket or, or none, 
and they hit 450, then England aren't going to win this game. Um, so, yeah, it's a very big first session, I think. Um, and then, yeah, a declaration or getting bowled out is, is going to come and then England will have a, a bat sometime today. And Teddy, what's going to happen today? Uh, yeah, I mostly agree. I think about the drinks break after after the dinner break, we'll roughly uh, put them in, um, unless we have a collapse, but hopefully not. Um, but I'll just add on, on our new bowlers coming in. I think Australia has often put too much weight on incumbency um, in our bowling lineup. Uh, you know, in England and in other teams, Richardson and Nisa would have had many more chances than they have had for Australia. So I think it's a, a great opportunity for them and uh, hopefully they'll perform. You do feel a bit for Nisa. You feel like um, even if he does, you know, perform and even take a Pfeiffer and Cummins and Hazelwood are both available. I mean, even one of them available, he'll be out for the next test regardless, unless, of course, they do drop stuff. But um, it seems unlikely. And as we said, yeah, the dream scenario appears on the in the preview pod. You bat for five, five and a bit sessions, and then come out there with the with the pink ball uh, and get into the wickets. We'll see what happens today. Of course, uh, the three gentlemen with me will be at the ground again uh, for the entire test. So uh, enjoy today, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Before. <laughs> and we'll see you all tomorrow morning. Okay, bye for now.